Oh, there's a squeaky board up here. That's good. I like that. Join me for the scripture lesson today is, comes from the book of Acts, the 16th chapter, verses 16 through 34. Let us listen for God's words to us. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we, that's Paul and Silas, um, met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. Now, while she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They're Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds, and then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God." May God bless our understanding of this reading from Holy Scripture. Let's come together in prayer. O God in heaven, make us wise and lead us safely home. Amen. So, in the 14th century, before the Common Era, we used to call that BC, in the 14th century, before the Common Era, small groups of people worshipped Mother Earth and lived in the town of Delphi, ancient Greek city which still exists today. Maybe some of you have visited there. 
And as the story goes, in the 14th century, before the Common Era, um, along comes the god Apollo um, and killed the guardian of Mother Earth's ground. And so for another couple of hundred years or so, it was Apollo who was worshipped at this site. And then in the 8th century, still before the Common Era, the tides turned again in favor of Delphi, and Pythia, the priestess and oracle of Delphi during that period, became famous for predicting the future. Ancient people had such faith in her predictions that major decisions were never made without first consulting her. Rulers in neighboring countries knew of her fame and came to consult before they went into battle. So by the year 356 before the Common Era, Spartans attacked the city, and then they stripped this temple, which was quite famous, where the priestess was said to live of all of its treasures. The town then fell into Roman hands by 191 BCE, and it changed hands several more times before losing its influence finally, finally to, wait for it, the Christians. Now, I tell you all this trivia this morning because the Greek word that describes the condition of the little girl in this story in Acts passage actually says that she had the spirit of a python, which refers to the python who guarded the original oracle at Delphi, the python that Apollos killed in order to take over the site. Now, this description puts her in the company of women who had long been able to predict the future. And how that skill was tolerated, as you could see from this long history that I just gave you, was either revered or conquered, depending on who was looking to be in charge of this particular area of the world. The person who could predict or divine the future could use that skill to protect their community from harm, or they could exploit that skill for money. Since she was a child, this little girl, and a slave at the time that Paul and Silas run into her. You can imagine the kind of exploitation that was happening. Her owners would offer her services for money, and she predicted the future for them. Easy money, if you think about it. All you have to do is um, feed her and clothe her, and people would pray well to hear what it was that she knew. So that she is exactly what she was doing the day that Paul and Silas ran into her. She's kind of spontaneously following them around and telling everyone who they are. These are slaves of the Most High God, and they're proclaiming a way of salvation. Did she know what she was talking about? We don't know, but she was making the prediction. And Truthfully, he should have paid her, right? That was her job, because she was predicting his future. And though she didn't seem to foresee exactly what form that salvation was going to take, she did experience a kind of salvation with, when he, with one phrase, pulled the spirit of divination right out of her body. Now, Paul's actions were not all that altruistic because the text says he was annoyed because she had been following them around. And there, let's remember, there are not really any passages where Paul welcomes little children into his lap. He may just been a kind of cranky old guy. We don't know. All the same, he changes her life. He saves it, and she wakes up to a new life with a new purpose and a new day, the detail of which is all left and said.
unsaid. Now, as often is the case when one disrupts the economic engines of a society, there is a backlash, and the local townies are not happy with the la loss of the cash cow that was represented in this little girl's power. They arrest Paul and Cyrus, they send them to jail, and as a sign of just how dangerous they believed Paul and Silas to be, the text notes that after flogging them, they're taken to the innermost um, cell, and their feet are fastened in stocks. Now, that's not pleasant sounding of course and even though his motives might have been suspect Paul did help this girl and uh, we have to decide it was about the money because it doesn't seem like he did anything wrong to um, actually uh, um, receive this kind of treatment but there was no more predictions of the future and no more money so you have to jail the scum who did this what were they so afraid of Paul and Silas didn't have weapons, conventional ones anyway. Were they angry at the loss of the revenue or afraid of their weapons of the spirit? That's a question worth pondering. Now what's most telling about this story is one little fact you may or may not know, and that is that Roman citizens, of which Paul and Silas were, were not to be beaten or flogged. It was the law. So first he heals a little girl because she's annoying him. Next he takes a beating that technically he shouldn't have to endure. And as if this story could not get any stranger, Paul and Silas in the middle of the night take up praying and singing hymns deep in their jail cell. Loudly they sing. Loudly they sing. Uh, and before we can ponder too long on that little tidbit, a detail that has all the prisoners in the jail sitting there but take notice, an earthquake comes so powerful that the doors opened and the chains came undone. And we would expect everyone to flee, right? And they don't. The jailer, presumably just doing his job, wakes up. How he sleeps through all that, we'll never know. And when he sees what's happening, he decides, he, well, he might as well kill himself because the authorities are going to do that anyway because he's failed at his job. And in yet one more twist in this crazy story, Paul stops the suicide, converts the jailer and his whole family it is a nice, nice, neat day's work, don't you think, on the part of Paul? He stops the suicide, converts the jailer and his whole family. He um, doesn't rest there. He wants to make an example of everybody. We didn't read this part, but he, doesn't re he refuses to leave the jail until the magistrate comes and says they're sorry to him because he wants everybody to know what has happened. You just flogged a Roman citizen? Paul waits for the apology and then goes back to Lydia, one of the other disciples' home, and uh, still has time to encourage brothers and sisters, everybody that's there, and then he leaves. So if you want to play the game, my God is bigger than your God, common sport in Delphi for literally centuries, this would certainly be the way to go about it. And the oracle of Delphi gave way to an emerging group from the east, who were called, wait for it, Christians. No one in that little town went home that night thinking about the oracle of Delphi. They were thinking about Jesus of Nazareth. So that's the end of the background information. And that's the beginning of what in the world do we make of this story? Conversion by miracle, conversion by fear, conversion by terror, near-death experience, conversion as a result of the power of one God over another. It probably isn't the way any one of us in this room came to faith. Nor is it the way most of us talk about God. Well, you know, I was down at the town square and God really taught those heathens a thing or two. We saw it with our own eyes. We don't, um, you know, we don't talk like that. 
In fact, we do a good job of trying to honor and be respectful of other traditions while claiming that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And most of the time that works, right? And even though I have given you background for the religious tensions that are present in the story, around the spiritual wars going on between the current oracle and the Christians. There's also some major injustices at play in the story that have nothing to do with the people in this town's religious beliefs. The misuse of a slave, a child, a girl. If she had the gift of seeing the future, she could have been revered like the priestess. Her wisdom sought after, well-tended, treated well. But no, she was a sideshow at the county fair, a pawn and a get-rich-quick scheme. The jailing of innocent people, another injustice, brutal or just unjustified beatings, Correct, corrupt governments, no trial, no basis for trial, no proof for Paul's words. In this one little text, we learn a lot about the early church and the remarkable way that they paved the road for us to walk as we consider what discipleship really means. Their belief in Jesus resulted in putting their faith on the line and taking risk and taking blows and in doing the right thing. Paul wasn't only annoyed with the little girl's dog in his heels. He was annoyed at the travity of justice that allowed her to be used in this way. He was annoyed that, annoyed that no one in the town could see beyond the dollar to put a stop to this. He was annoyed and he took action. And the child woke up. And the jailer is so afraid of his superiors that he believes that one mistake is going to cost him his life. He's ready to commit suicide rather than face the wrath of those who hold power over him. And Paul says, no, don't do it. Consider another way. And he did. And the jailer woke up. Paul and Silas could have been facing their own death in that jail cell. And instead of wringing their hands, they prayed and sang hymns, and others listened. You know, I read somewhere <clears throat> that when we pray, when we pray, our feet ought to be moving. This kind of helps me understand why we have grown tired of the phrase, our thoughts and prayers are with you. It becomes a mantra with no feet. You know, It communicates little about how we're committed to bringing about change and more about how we deflect our responsibility with an inauthentic passing of the baton to God. And I even fully understand that because aren't we overwhelmed by all that needs to be changed? Aren't we bogged down by the complex layers of division and vitriol that paralyze our good intentions to act? Most days we can't even picture how to get started on this. We don't believe that God sends earthquakes to get messages across. That's good theology for Marvel comics, but bad theology for Presbyterians. There's our days when we sure like the sound of it. You know, let's shake up the deadlock in Washington with a lightning bolt. You know, right where it's needed to get these folks off the dime while we watch from a safe distance. Come on, God, just send the lightning bolt. Take care of it for us. We know it doesn't work that way. Paul and Silas, they were the earthquake. And you and I are the earthquake but we can fall down the slippery slope of dreaming about a different way, can't we? 
Jacinda Adern, Prime Minister of New Zealand, spoke at Harvard's graduation ceremony this week, and she said, the issues we navigate as a society will only intensify. The disinformation will only increase. The pull into the comfort of our tribes will be magnified. But we have it within us to ensure that this doesn't mean we fracture. Watch her whole speech, it's so good. When we pray, our feet must be moving. John Pavlovitz said it a different way when he wrote about the most important things Christians have to offer to the hard conversations and divides of our day. He said the singular thing we can offer is a clear and unflinching voice that emulates the voice of Jesus. If you really want to be relevant, he writes, say everything. Stand on your platform forms and in your pulpits and specifically name the bigotry precisely call out the politics unequivocally condemn the people and the policies and the movements that sicken you jesus did start speaking with clarity about what matters that's exactly what the child the little slave girl in acts did in our story for the day these men are slaves of the most high god who proclaim to you a way of salvation, emulating the voice of Jesus. Her gift of telling the truth was applied to Paul and Silas, and though we have said that Paul's removal of her spirit woke her up, I like to think Paul woke up a little bit that day too. His idea of what and who could, marry, could, could carry the message of Jesus was sort of blown wide open, right? Even a priestess of Delphi could tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Could emulate the voice of Jesus. But let's be clear. Paul wasn't just angry about her truth-telling. He was angry that adults were using her for personal gain. I'd like to think the calls for help from the children in the school in Uvalde this week were the voice of Jesus too. Come, save us, they whispered. They spoke for children across the country and around the world, right? Come, save us. Will we save our children? Was that what Paul heard in a little girl being bartered away, being sacrificed in a different time and place? And was that the way he tackled the demon in his response? I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Whatever the tone or intensity, something happened that day. Will we go beyond divisive rhetoric and meet injustice with clear, concise messages of love over hate and justice over privilege and hope over despair? Can we be that clear? I order you, in the name of Jesus Christ, this killing of our children must stop. We pray while our feet are walking. In the name of Jesus Christ, we will get to the polls and encourage others to do the same. In the name of Jesus Christ, we're going to stand in solidarity with those who are trying to survive tragedy one more time. In the name of Jesus Christ, we'll pester, prod, poke, and demand of those with power to respond. In the name of Jesus Christ, we will order this. And the result? 
angst around inaction is going to fade away and a new day will be here. Melissa Etheridge wrote a song a while back and she sings it as only she can do with that kind of driving, edgy, gravelly voice that I picture Paul using. I need to wake up. I need to move. I need to change. I need to shake up. I need to speak out. I've been asleep and I need to wake up now. She sings it, we pray it, and our feet are walking now. Amen.